0: Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 142, recorded on, what is it, April 5th of 2021. The photo show, the geekery show, the show where I'm your host, Don kamareczka and we talk about the industry news with a geeky twist on every week. Um, and with me is always a guest. This week, a very special guest. I guess I could call him the grandfather of photography podcasts. At least he was the very first... <laughs> The very first photographer that I listened to on a podcast is Chris Marquart. Uh, thank you for being here today, Chris. The grandfather. You could throw in a fossil or a dinosaur. <laughs> You've been doing My this longer old. than anybody else.
1: <laughs> yeah. How um, are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Hanging in there. Germany still still waiting for vaccines and stuff, but other than that, yeah. everything is cool. I like sitting. I like spending time by myself at home, so I don't really. Uh, I don't really mind.
0: Too much. We we have warm weather coming in now. It's uh, I think the last of our below freezing temperatures just <laughs> went away overnight, and so now I my mind is okay. I can garden, I can maybe start to, to plant some things outside, get some pea vines started. And I'm thinking, okay, my mind really needs to go into that space because (laughs) it's, um, you know, every day something is going to be growing a little bit more. Something is going to be changing. It's going to kind of evaporate this groundhog day of a winter that we've had where every day I wake up, it's okay. Uh, let's, let's not doom scroll today, but. Everything else is the same, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah it's, it's it's for me personally, it's bearable. It's not super cool, but hey, I'm, I finished a book through all of this. You finished and, and that's... a book. I'm working on, yeah. on a bunch of projects, so yeah, sure.
0: You know, there's been progress. And thank you very much. Uh, I, uh, uh, for anybody listening, uh, Chris is one of the people that I sent a uh, an early copy of the ebook to, uh, to get some feedback, a couple of choice words, if you actually liked it, and your words were quite, uh, quite kind. So thank you very much for that.
1: And very honest, because that's quite, quite a book that you've made there. Thank you,
0: thank you. And so, anybody that's curious about that, they can take a look at uh, SkyCrystals.ca. Although most of the listeners probably already have pre-ordered a copy, <laughs> and if you haven't, well, um, I, I guess now is the time. Uh, <laughs> I,
1: I can't wait to get the, get my hands on mine. When when do you, are you going to do the international shipments?
0: So as soon as the uh, the physical books arrive, uh, I. And again, I'm getting 5,000 copies of the regular edition delivered to my door. So wow. uh, it's going to be a logistical nightmare to get these out yes. the door. Not all of them have been purchased, mind you, but about two or 3,000 have. Uh, and so the international uh, orders will go out first the shipment to my door should be coming end of this month uh i am told around the 25th but i mean Fair that might call. that might change so uh mm-hmm. the uh shipments to europe and australia and uh, and asia and south america etc uh they all go out first uh you get priority because it's going to take longer to get to germany
1: yep i i, yep. I totally appreciate that i'm <laughs> i really can't wait
0: All right. Well, Chris, uh, let's get into some interesting stories. I am glad that I have you on this week to talk about, uh, you know, there's at least two that your opinions are going to be really special for, um, the first one and the last one and the stuff in between. Well, I'm sure you'll make, make something up. Uh, the first one, um, from DP review, Uh, is Getty Images announces the acquisition of the stock photo platform Unsplash. So I'm sure you're familiar, but uh, for the listeners, Unsplash is not a favorite uh, business of mine, uh, where photographers could basically upload their images to the platform and basically give them away. Uh, unshackle their images from their uh, creative rights, their copyright and and anything therein that anybody can use for any purpose. And uh, apparently that has been somehow a good business or at least a good prospective business for somebody such as Getty Images, one of the biggest uh, stock photo agencies in the world uh, to get involved with. And Getty in the past has not done great When free images come across their bow, I remember stories from a few years ago where um, images deliberately uh, sent into the public domain that were also uh, picked up by Getty. Not only did Getty start to try to license these images and, and get money for them, they went after anybody that was using them without a Getty license and was trying to solicit some type of settlement. From them in the past. So I've been uneasy about both of these brands. And so this kind of union of the two of them doesn't connect with me very well. Uh, wh- what do you think?
1: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I, I, when Unsplash came on the scene, at least into my um, perception, it was something that I kind of admired because it is a website that gives away good photography, and there's a lot of. It was a bit of a bit of an, a community going on there with people kind of freely sharing photos, and I, in theory, like these kind of things. Um, I have used photos from Unsplash in the past for like for web web uh, blog entries and things like that, um, and I ha- I have like three or four of my photos up on Unsplash because it was kind of a a good thing to give back to that community
0: so um, and I, I should state that i've given some of my images deliberately um you know labeled them as public domain and yes. i've done this with with a Absolutely. snowflake image and uh, so and, some other, and just to see where they end up yeah
1: so so sa- same for me and um it's it's interesting you keep getting regular updates on how many tens of thousands of views your photos have had and uh, it's. it's quite big numbers, actually. Um, I've uh, thrown a couple of those into a a reverse image search to see where they ended up and, um, yeah, the usual suspects, blog entries and stuff. Um, I've never found any of them on a T-shirt or anything uh, commercialized fashion. And then the getty images again very uneasy feeling about getty images because because it's this big this big vacuum that sucks in all the other stock businesses as least that at least that's the feeling i have and they are um now just picking up another one and it yeah the the the, the business practices of getty in the past haven't have often not rang good to me so,
0: yeah, and you know, yeah. Unsplash, they, they say here, and, and I didn't know the numbers until I looked up the article, but uh, over 100 million images are downloaded for free from Unsplash uh, every month. And so that, I, I don't know if, if Getty is going to keep this as sort of like a free branch. I, we have no idea how they're going to massage or manipulate this this, this entity that they uh, will now be in control of. But I do know in the past, they were um, a rights managed organization, and that's mostly gone away. Uh, In the past, they bought iStock Photo and and a bunch of smaller uh, companies as well to get more into this high volume, lower sales, uh, in terms of dollar value per image uh, model, which I never liked. I I tried to, you know, I, i Stock Photo was one of the agencies that I tried to put some of my images on early on. And I, I, I don't know, made $50, Stock something is like it. It's a lot it was of work.
1: It's a whole lot of work to keep it going, to keep the momentum going, and so on. By the way, one one part of Unsplash's uh, previous business model is API access because there are integrations of. Some tools that you can pull images from, and that goes through the Unsplash API. So that is one
0: right part of that. and and the team is staying in place. The, the CEO has said that uh, you know all all the important staff. Uh, I'm assuming that some level of redundancy is is going to be <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, and they're, they're saying nothing there, but-
1: will change, but then look at like Facebook buying Instagram and so on. I mean, this is. I, I don't have a lot of trust yeah. that this will stay that way
0: forever. This is true. And I mean, will you, I guess this is really the the important question. Will you continue to use a service like Unsplash knowing that they are owned by a company like Getty? Unlikely. Fair enough. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) I, I haven't made
1: my, I haven't really made up my mind about that. I also haven't made up my mind if I want to leave my photos on there or not, but that's all things I'm thinking about right now.
0: I, I remember hearing something, uh, and, and again, this is uh, me digging through memories, uh, but that some photographers had put images on Unsplash and had them utilized by people for various things, but then pulled the images down off of the service uh, and went after the people that had used them while they were on the service uh for copyright infringement, because their usage continued after the images were off of the website, and there yeah. was some legal loophole within the uh, user agreements—you know, that you know, hundred-page document that nobody ever reads—that uh, said that that was allowable, and then that was fixed. And I, I just feel like this is not going to be good for anybody but Getty Images and their shareholders. Uh, but they're a business, yeah. right? I mean they uh, they 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 have to try to grow their business, and and I totally understand that they got to make the shareholders happy, uh, and so this is good news for Getty. I think that Getty Images made the right move, although I completely disagree um, that it's the the right move for photography in general. Uh, that brings us to a kind of a piggyback story: uh, VSCO in talks with Pinterest to be required. A report that I found on Petapixel. Um, are you on Pinterest at all?
1: I do have an account, but you know Pinterest is more of an annoyance to me when I'm searching for pictures, and they have their SEO so good that you end up only seeing Pinterest results for things, and then you're not logged in, and then you're gonna now. I, I'm, I'm Pinterest has never really done a lot for me, um, and neither has VSEO because I've never become part of their social. Network image. Neither have I. Um,
0: So maybe we're the the wrong demographic there. But we do see this consolidation uh, of of these platforms, for lack of a better term. And, you know, like you mentioned, Facebook and Instagram, they are one of the same. I've actually been sending out a heck of a lot of takedown notices uh, to Facebook uh, for copyright issues and things like that. And when I come across something for, for Instagram, it's the exact same form. I mean, it's branded Instagram, but as soon as you go beyond the surface of, okay, well, Instagram and Facebook have different layouts and, uh, and slightly different systems, the messaging apps are the same, all of the forms to fill out behind the scenes, uh, they're all identical. Um, and so we just kind of get a different rebrand of everything else. And I, I kind of like, diversity in this space you know I I, I relish that I, I miss the days of Google+ Plus, even <laughs> though that was owned by another uh, gigantic entity it was it was a different entity uh, and and so all this um, sort of connection between these platforms I don't know I, I I'm on the fence about it I, I, I don't like it.
1: Consolidation but. takes takes out variety, and that's I, I like variety. I like choice. I like uh, yeah, but but we're seeing this everywhere. I mean, I've recently I've recently seen a sheet of um, like different different brands and how they are connected, and it ends up being like three big companies owning almost everything. So,
0: well, uh, yeah, even in the photo industry, a lot of people yeah. don't realize that Manfrotto uh, and Gitzo are owned by the same, the same Italian manufacturer. They're the same company. Um, when we talk about photographic papers, a lot of it comes out of uh, a Mitsubishi factory. Um, and, you know, there there's different uh, kind of connections. Yeah, you can buy whatever brand that you like and they will manufacture for particular brands and entities. But, um, you know, w- when it comes down to it, You know you're you're kind of getting the same stuff, Uh, and that's just the commercialized world that we live in. We have to, I guess, embrace that to some level. Um, But I like the diversity, and that brings me into story number two. Very terrible segue. Um, Panasonic interview also published on DP Review uh, that. Basically, the quote is that they will strengthen both their full frame and micro four thirds offerings. And I'm a Panasonic sponsored photographer, so I have to kind of take this with a bit of personal bias. Um, But, you know, especially with uh, Olympus selling off their camera division and micro four thirds not seeing uh, a massive immediate refresh of product cycles like we saw in the full frame space when everybody jumped in canon nikon and um and of course sony panasonic into that space and you had this massive churn of new lenses and camera bodies and so on and so forth um micro four thirds has kind of not been as furiously updated so it was kind of nice to see that both of these platforms are being pursued. And I think that there is a reason uh, to keep them both current and active. Uh, I mean, they're just entirely different markets. What what kind of camera do you shoot with on a regular basis these days, Chris? And uh, is... You know, do you recommend one sensor size versus another uh, for photographers, or is it really just down to your individual stylings? And any camera's a good camera in the hands of a good photographer. I think the latter. I mean, I've, I've, I'm, I'm still on my DSLRs. I'm still on my
1: Canon DSLRs. Both, uh, well, one full frame, one APS-C. Um, I've, I've yet to make the move to something mirrorless. At this point, I don't really see a good reason for it because I get the photos uh, that I want. I have the tools that I need. And uh, some of the things that I can do now, I couldn't easily do on uh, on a mirrorless camera. So for me, that's kind of what I will probably
0: be stuck with for the next few years. Um, and well, I, I got to dig into that, though, Chris. Because will what, take, what will can be- you do on your regular camera right now yep. I was that was about you to cannot get to do that. on a mirrorless one? <laughs>
1: The the thing is, well, I, I could theoretically do with an adapter, but I'm extensively using tilt shift lenses on my full frame system. Oh, right. And uh, those are Canon made tilt shift lenses, and there are no um, R mount equivalents to them yet. So I could use them on a mirrorless camera, but then I'd have to use a bulky adapter, and then I wouldn't have any benefit from.
0: Well, the adapters, to- I mean, the. There's no glass in these adapters, uh, uh, unless, of course, you're going to micro four thirds or you're shrinking an image circle where glass is required or corrective optics. When Canon went from the FD mount to the EF mount way back in the 1980s, um, glass was uh, a requirement there. And I've got the adapters to put my Canon EF lenses on L mount uh, camera bodies. And it's it's not that bad. I mean, no, it's it's not that I, bad. But but you're adding you're adding
1: the space that you save by taking the mirror box out of the camera. You're adding that back in, so you're not really yep. having
0: any space savings anymore. There's no benefit. It, it, it's not a detraction. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> so, I, I at the end of the day, uh, I, I found that electronic viewfinders, uh, when they're at a fairly low resolution, like when. Uh, Olympus came out with their OM, uh, their uh, what was it the um, the OMD. Uh, I forget their model numbers right now, but it was their first flagship. Um, it was bad. I mean, the menus were bad. The viewfinder was bad, and it was it was a good camera for its time, but it was unusable compared to a uh, a flapping mirror design of a camera that had an uh, an optical viewfinder that was just good Uh, but now uh, with five million dot evfs and uh, going up beyond that uh, i think that's the threshold if you can get to five million dots in an electronic viewfinder then then you've you've won me over uh and anything beyond that i think is Better than uh, an optical viewfinder for certain things like focus peaking, uh, or uh, you know, for, for seeing in the dark if you're shooting at night, uh, things like that. It, it, it becomes quite the advantage.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not against mirrorless cameras in any way, shape, or form. They have they have really matured by now, um, and I'm I'm 100 aware that this that my DSLRs M1, are. That's what it was. Yeah, my, my DSLRs are the last DSLRs that I shoot with. The last mirrored cameras for sure. So. Um, when, it's, when it's time to retire these again in a few years, then that's, uh, that's his DSLRs are history.
0: Well, and that kind of lends us into sort of the third story here. And, and we're kind of breezing through these. It might be a shorter episode. I know you've got a heart out at some point, but, uh, Canon, uh, appears to be rapidly discontinuing popular DSR lenses. Um, also reported by Petapixel. And, you know, it's it's no surprise that old lenses stop being made. Uh, you know, parts just become unavailable after a certain period of time. And, and you know, you might have bought a million of these particular uh, microchips from one company. And when they're gone, you can't necessarily replace them with the identical thing. And I think that's one of the reasons why certain lenses get updated over time. Uh, but they're not being updated on the EF mount. They will have an equivalent on the RF mount and things are transitioning from there. So, um, you know, the, the fact that lenses, uh, and some of them are kind of recent, like the, uh, the 40 millimeter F 2.8 pancake lens and the 60 millimeter, uh, F 2.8 macro lens, these lenses, um, I, I guess are higher volume items and thereby their, uh, you know, parts and support might, run out a little bit more quickly i think canon is still selling the mpe 65 millimeter uh macro lens which debuted in 1999 um because it didn't benefit from any advances in autofocus or image stabilization uh and it's a really tough lens to use whereas at the same time as you mentioned you use tilt shift lenses and they recently completely redid their tilt shift uh line was it five years ago or so yeah i uh, love that. It, they they came out with some new ones and and I think those will stick around probably for uh quite a long while, so that will hurt your jump over to mirrorless because there's no reason for you to upgrade all of that glass at any time in the next little while and and Where's expensive it? and expensive glass uh oh yeah those t s e lenses are not <laughs> cheap <laughs> yeah. But- and also, they don't benefit from autofocus. They have no autofocus. And so, nope. you know, you have to be a little bit more methodical with that equipment. Uh, and because of that, it it lasts longer. Like, I, I shoot manual focus lenses all the time, partly because they're just old. And they have quirks. They have, like, I've got sitting on my desk here uh, a, a vintage triplet lens from a projector. Oh, uh, and I can, <laughs> I, I can sandwich this into some bellows and it has this beautiful soap bubble bokeh effect that requires nothing from uh, at least my living memory, because this was made before I was born in like the late seventies or so. Um, and I love using that kind of stuff when it matters, when you're after a particular style, when you're after something, but, um, Sort of I, I think that the the biggest lens that is sort of a, a halo lens from Canon in the past was their fifty millimeter F1 lens, which um uh, they discontinued and it was one of their first and for a long time the only focus by wire lenses where if the internal components for that lens now were to break, you can't even get it serviced and fixed anymore. Um is is that gonna be a trend chris what do you feel about this uh kind of transition here uh your your lenses I, I had my canon fifteen millimeter fisheye lens repaired, and they told me uh that it was the last time it could ever be fixed because I used up the last of their spare parts so
1: <sighs> i mean we we see we see we see spare parts still being available for some old analog models, so i uh, I think there might be stockpiles somewhere someone might have that and yeah being online, you might be able to find it, but yeah, it, it's kind of, I mean, it's, I'm a bit sad about it, but then on the other hand, the, the D de- the, mirrors are, sh- are clearly on the way out. There are, they are. So um, I think it's just logical for a uh, Canon to follow the business here and make new money by selling new lenses and well,
0: cameras. And, and- To be fair, the 85 millimeter F1.2 L lens, version two of it, I mean, uh, the the first one's long been discontinued. That is a beautiful lens. I've used it. I've rented one. I've never owned one, but um, they don't sell a lot of them they'll sell a ton of the f1.8 lenses and most manufacturers do that's their volume ticket um but to have these uh very prestigious f1.2 l series lenses uh go away it kind of reminded me it's like remember when canon had like a a 30 to 85 millimeter f like 4.5 zoom lens that were like the, the kit lenses were the add-on lenses that everybody would buy in addition to the one that came with their camera and they were just plastic garbage uh and they're mostly forgotten about right now those lenses that are now being discontinued are the good ones the ones that are going to be sought after buy one now if you can because it might even be worth money down the road like that 50 millimeter f1 but that also brings me back to the idea of the Meyer optic trio plan. 100 very sought after optic, uh, now owned by OPC precision optics, uh, German manufacturer. They sell that lens for a thousand dollars us. Uh, it's a simple triplet. It is the exact same optic as well. I mean, not exactly the same, but the same fundamental formula as this projector lens that I bought for $15, uh, so you know, are these traditional models, I guess, going the way of Leica and, and having some uh, some value, or is it just going to fade away and we're going to forget about it uh, as as time goes on?
1: Let me let me add another element to that an, a conspiracy theory element. Um, you the moment you do not you don't have an optical viewfinder anymore, you do not have any way to really test the optical well at least the end user doesn't have a good way to test the optical quality of what a lens does and uh, we are seeing a lot of developments towards lenses being built simpler and cheaper with uh, with inferior optical qualities and then computational uh, photography inside the camera fixing those flaws. We're talking Smart geometry. Smartphones have been and doing like. this for a long well, time. Yeah. Sony has been doing it. Everyone, even, even Hasselblad, does it. They fix geometry uh, and, uh, and CAs and stuff like that. So um, again, this is a th- this is just <laughs> this is me with my tinfoil hat. But uh, what if Canon did that and phased out phased out the old ones to replace them with newer ones that don't have the same optical qualities because they can now fix things in software?
0: Well, they've been doing that for a long time, and I have proof. Um, I remember seeing when. Uh, when cameras made the transition from CCD sensors to CMOS sensors, that uh, there were some uh, white papers, which are those technical documents that, I mean, they're not going to be published in a scientific journal, but they are uh, sort of trade documents that detail how technology works, etc. cetera. Um, and they were saying in this paper, uh, published by Canon, that when they uh, started I- introducing CMOS sensors, that the angle of light that could be detected was less so than CCD sensors. And so if you had um, extreme angles of light that are more common at very, very wide apertures, um, that there's a, there was a percentage of that light that the sensor just couldn't figure out. It, it, it couldn't detect properly, and it was absent from the recorded image. And so I did a test. I took that Canon 85mm f1.2 lens. And I took a photo of just a plain wall, just neutral color, no details whatsoever on a manual exposure. Uh, and so it was what it was, but then I dismounted the lens slightly, just enough to break the electrical contact so that the camera body couldn't figure out what lens was attached to it. And I took another photo and that second image was somewhere between a fourth and an eighth of a stop darker. Uh, and this was back. Uh, this was it was a five D Mark II that I was shooting with at the time. So um, that was over ten years ago uh, that Canon was doing that, and that was one of the the first yep. CMOS sensors, of course. And I have no idea if that practice continued. Well, but it was and, and there.
1: And it's not just the camera manufacturers. I mean, I I remember Sony, what was it? Sony RX100 was one of the first cameras where I became really aware of that, especially the geometric corrections, because someone sent me uh, a a screenshot of his Lightroom that showed buildings being all, all out of shape and stuff. And then he updated his Lightroom, and then the buildings were straight. So it turns out the old version <laughs> of Lightroom, right before that one, uh, didn't have the corrections built in. So the camera manufacturers are talking to, um, they, they are exchanging this information with Adobe and so on to build in those corrections because the raw images would have the 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 wonky geometry. So really, I think I don't think we're too far into the conspiracy territory here other than saying that canon is phasing those out in, in able to uh, to be in to in order to be able to do these things without us noticing
0: yeah well uh somebody will always notice and then the internet will be in uproar as soon as that is discovered uh, for a little flash in the pan uh because people like to argue on the internet especially about photography topics and then <laughs> it's going to disappear when it just becomes commonplace once again uh Speaking of flash in the pan moments in time that people get all uppity about, uh, that brings us into the final story for this episode of Photo Geek Weekly, the best April Fool's Day photography jokes of 2021. Uh, and I'm going to say that this list is incomplete, uh, based on, uh, something that you've told me just before we started recording. But, you know, I look at some of these things and uh, a young newo rice cooker that actually looks pretty fashionable. I could see that on my on my kitchen counter. It's shaped like a lens, right? Uh, like those lens mugs in the same vein, but uh, <laughs> you can cook rice in it. Uh, or how about a Fujifilm disposable GFX six four five camera? That got me thinking. I've never actually seen a disposable medium format camera. I mean, of course there's the Holga stuff that's almost disposable, but, uh, but no manufactured camera, uh, in, in that, uh, space. I actually felt inspired when I was looking through this list. I, some of them are stupid, like the Liowa four millimeter F1, uh, you know, fisheye and it's it just Kodak coming back with a new camera. Well, I actually wouldn't be surprised if somebody licensed the Kodak brand and Drove that further into the ground. <laughs> that uh, wouldn't be surprising at all. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about this list of all of these things, especially even things like the cr- critical vulnerability that af- affects Bluetooth-enabled cameras? Uh, uh, that yeah. uh, was, I don't know, surprising. Not terribly. You so, know, you
1: know what? What? What makes a good a good uh, prank is that there's some level of believability in it. And uh, those are usually the ones that people fall for. Um, for example, the the Vanguard uh, five-legged tripod kind of thing um, that they have on there. It's not that far from the truth. If you look at, um, who did it? Novoflex. Novoflex. Four, they've four-legged. got the quadrupods. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, which, which I think they did this over 10, they built this product over 10 years ago and it's a real product. I saw it with my own eyes. And I never really understood why, but um...
0: I saw it too. Well, I saw photos of it, and I just—I don't know why, but I love it. Uh, I—I've never used one, and I don't know why four is better than three. But I—I just—I I looked at that quadrupod, quadpod, whatever they called them, and I thought, okay. Um, I, I would stand out in a crowd with this. Uh, totally. <laughs> every other photographer has three legs on their tripod. I got four. I am going to be a conversation piece if I owned one of these. Uh. <laughs>
1: I've never... I've seen I've seen it at Photokina. I've uh, actually seen them demonstrate it by, by one of their guys... I think it was a pretty tall one they had there, a pretty tall version, and he hung himself under it. So
0: to to demonstrate how sh- sturdy it is, they they made the modular. I think like you could buy the legs yeah. independent of of the base, independent of the head, yeah. uh, more so than most.
1: But I've never ever seen any of those uh, one of those in the wild. Never.
0: They <laughs> just don't exist. Uh, they they don't. Uh, and I, I did mention the uh, the Bluetooth. Um, uh, bug, hack, whatever, that was totally fake. Uh, but, but it was basically if you had Bluetooth enabled on your camera uh, within certain versions, and again, this isn't real, um, that there was a way to use that as a backdoor into the camera, uh, a remote code execution, uh, as it were, that you could theoretically brick a camera. And it got me thinking, though. It's not, it's uh, not even that, it's, that, that's not that far out, to be honest. It isn't that far out because every camera these days has Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. Uh, you know, they're connected devices, even though I don't typically turn those features on, on my and cameras. And they run they
1: operating are... systems. They run Bluetooth
0: stacks. They, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of believable. It, it could be. And how many photographers out there don't update their firmware? Uh, just like how many people don't update the firmware on their router? Uh, and, and there's security hacks that, uh, you know, could find backdoors. You know, people could uh, worm their way into your home network because that router that's sitting bes- uh, behind your computer, it's been there for 10 years. And it's, you know, woefully I mean, out of date. We, we
1: know how to make people update their, their stuff. And that's by just throwing in a new feature. Or
0: new emojis. Yeah. <laughs> new emojis. Oh, yeah, there that, you go. That works so well. Yeah, uh, but you know, would it be conceivable that there is some uh software bug that if somebody just has their phone with Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, whatever connectivity, and and is just walking around a crowded tourist location, hopefully not a crowded tourist location right now, um, but uh and then just bricks every camera that sure. they see because nobody had updated that. That doesn't exist, but it could.
1: I mean, and you remember me, the, the, I, we the, ping, so the ping of death. You remember that one. That was a big one, I don't know, 15 years ago, which was a, a command which you can use from, from one computer to another to see if it's there. And uh, by, by by formulating those packages, those internet packets in, in a special way, you could just break other computers because everyone used that same piece of networking
0: software. Yeah. So this yeah. was back in the days when you could like directly message an IP address on another computer yes. and have it automatically bring up whatever that message was unprovoked and unsolicited. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> The good old
1: days of trust, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: The good old days. So anyhow, um, this story of uh, April Fool's Day jokes, some of them I want. Uh, I remember when ThinkGeek was an independent company and they used to come up with the best April Fool's Day jokes uh, of of products that didn't exist and eventually would actually manufacture some of them. Um, You have your own that you manufactured in a (laughs) sense uh and we are at about a 10-year anniversary i believe yes 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 the invisible camera which uh, i didn't even
1: come up with alan adridge came up with uh with it he's a he's a video producer he uh used to be my neighbor back in Tubingen, where i lived in southern germany and uh uh, one time he just said why don't we do something strange something wild and Uh, yeah 10 years ago we shot and released the invisible camera which was a uh, an April Fool's joke about a, a dramatic amazing de- de- developments in camera technology and uh, we we treated it as an exercise in storytelling pretty much how do you tell a good story so it is believable? And it was very surprising that we got away with what we got away with, which
0: I still remember. Uh, I haven't seen this video introducing the product in a very long time, and I still remember it. I still remember being enamored with it. Um, it and, and you and did a good job. It. We built
1: we built it like we we started with 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 a very broad just hinting at something interesting we had like five acts in there and the first one was just me talking about some amazing development and then the second one was the idea forming and the third one was trying pulling the scientists together to to make it work we had a we we had a a, a fake scientist in there. um p- standing in for someone from the Max Planck Institute. We made it very convincing by having the signage. we shot some outside footage of the Max, Planck's, uh, Max Planck Institute signage, and we set up a little lab, a uh, fake lab, with some close-ups of scientists twiddling knobs uh, something or something. Throw a lab coat
0: on anybody, and they look more it, authoritative on what they're talking. I know, because I record a number of videos for DP Review TV yeah, wearing a lab coat.
1: And and then and then you end up and then we ended up on the in the fourth act, by by, by turning this into the most out by, by adding some really outrageous claims, like this camera being skipping the gigapixel race, going into the terapixel realm um, with the highest resolution and the lowest ISOs you can work with, and really stuff made up stuff, totally made up stuff. But, but it, it, it was, was like convincing. boiling a
0: frog, Chris. It was it, it was yes. like. You built it up so slowly, you didn't really realize what was happening <laughs> and And a lot of people did realize, but some
1: people didn't. And we received ten uh, no, no, we received hundreds of of uh, people who wanted to be in our field test. and uh, they and and they were they were made up of teachers. So there were some scientists. There were some special effects people writing. To I was us. one of them um it 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 was it was a big surprise and and we after after it really turned into a lot of people asking serious questions about it we took it down because we got scared of it and uh (laughs) and then we released a second part which was kind of the behind the scenes with me breaking down laughing a lot and things like that the the whole thing and now just just today before this show i recorded a little 10 years later like reaction video where i look at it again and give you some background information on and how wh- these where can people work. find that it's it's a it's a link it's on youtube it's uh, i'll um i've sent you the link so you can put it in the show notes it's it will be it, in the it show notes. it includes interesting things like um me me pointing out how this this plexiglass box that stands in for this invisible camera gadget it was just the worst fingerprint magnet you can imagine it was so horrible <laughs> to shoot with it it didn't have Do you still to, have it uh yeah it's somewhere <laughs> Back there in a in a in a in a in a cabinet, it it was so bad, and it it wasn't really. It was just a box with a, with a couple of holes. The 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 pinhole holder wasn't glued in because you would have seen the glue, so it was just like by by gravity held in there. The if the moments you see this thing sitting on a tripod, it literally just sits on a tripod, and any any light breeze would toss it down, and you'd have to pick it up again and wipe it down again to get the fingerprints off. It was just. So much fun doing this um, and now now you know when you see the fingerprints what they mean
0: <laughs> that was the impetus for the Marquardt international pinhole camera uh, that was right?
1: first the Marquardt international pinhole was first and uh, th- or, or was in development and the uh, the invisible camera was bottled after. The Margaret International Pinhole. I,
0: I remember crochet. them in the other in the other order, but that just could be by the time they became public knowledge. Yes, I know because I I have one, uh, and I I think you made like ten of them plus some prototypes at the time. But did I not hear you a while back thinking that you were going to be making more of them? There are more of them. There, there are, are more of them.
1: They are somewhere behind me. Um, I'm not showing them here, but yes, there are more of them. And I will, um, it's probably going to be a couple more weeks, but I will reopen the, the Market International Pinhole Shop. And uh, well, the, the, the background story is we we had, in order to get a decent price on the metal parts, on the hardware parts, the pinhole holder, and the tripod mount, and the knobs on the side that you attach this uh, the strap to, um in order to get some decent prices on those we had to make more than just 10 of them or we had to have more made than just 10 so um we we've been sitting on those and now with covid with the pandemic my friend the furniture maker who made the boxes and who built them um he had time and he just set aside a, f- a few days and started making new ones so there is a I know bunch originally- of new
0: ones. You, you had them all different, uh, uh, different woods. Uh, I forget what mine is. I think it might be ash. Um, but every one in the original series was made of a different type of wood. And Just, you really, I don't want to say you over-engineered it because, uh, there's no such thing as that, but you, uh, you assigned the, um, uh, sort of the, uh, I don't know, the classical German perfectionism to this project. Uh, And you made these pinhole cameras as good as they possibly can be. And when they're called international, uh, that was, I believe, because they took 4 by 5 film holder backs. International backs.
1: They're called international backs. And and they're compatible with with, uh, medium format holders, with with digital scanning backs, with all the different fixtures that you can add on the back of a... Of a four by five,
0: and and I I love mine. Uh, I have serial number one, and I'm very proud to to have yes. that. Uh, <laughs> I have zero. <laughs> you have zero. Uh, Monica, I think has has one as well, uh, yes. lower than one. Uh, maybe I think, I think she has zero.
1: I think I have unnumbered ones. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> so so, so
1: so we so so I'm bringing those back. Yes, and they will be. Um, the, the one that you bought was <clears throat> including the big wooden transport box and, <clears throat> and, uh, film holder and, and, uh, things I'm now selling those individually. So you don't have to buy the big box. So, uh, I'm, I'm bringing the price down a bit. Do you, you still have the a little
0: tiny uh, jar of, of wax for the wood? Insta- because you just you <laughs> when I say you over-engineered, you included everything possible. Of course. Uh, um, I do
1: have them, but I, w- I will sell those separately. So again, bring the price down. You can just get the camera. If you have film holders, you won't have to buy those. But if you want to buy one, I will sell you one. Um, so you can, you can, the entry price is
0: lower than the original 10. Perfect. Uh, where can people find that, or you in general? Before we get to our picks of the week, uh, put the link in the show. ChrisMagward
1: is kind of the the main one um, where you will f- find other projects. My, my 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 COVID projects. Photosensei, which is my online coaching photography teaching uh, platform. Uh, Obs Ninja Academy, which is a uh, a production support type thing for remote video productions
0: um yeah and Perfect. everything else i do we will have those links in the show notes at photo geekweekly.com. uh and let's get into our picks quickly um i i've got an interesting one that i never even thought to make as a as a photography pick until right now but before i get to that what do you have for me chris
1: uh, I'm just sending you a couple links in our DM here. Um, it is called Deep Privacy. So you you know um, this this person does not exist. where yep. uh, some uh, machine learning AI creates people out of thin air.
0: Well, and, and, and uh, horribly uh, destroys people that are like halfway out of the frame. It's gotten that better. It, <laughs>
1: Those monstrosities. Yes, I know. <laughs> but but um, that, that can create very, very good faces with a decent resolution right now. And, um, you know, face swapping, yep. which is replacing one face with another. And someone has put those two ideas together, uh, and he calls it deep privacy. It's on GitHub. It's open source. And what you can do is you can throw in a photo, let's say a street photo with 10 people on it or 15, and And uh, they can just... And and that thing will just swap out the faces. And uh, I've thrown in a bunch of my own photos just to test it. So I've sent you uh, two links. The first one is of a a public gallery that you can go through. And you'll see that, yeah, the resolution is not there, but it gets the light right. It gets the uh, skin color right. It gets a lot of details right. Sometimes it gets it a bit wrong, but um, I'd say for... For your average street photography, you might be able to just swap out everyone apart from the, let's say, the subject or something. That is really cool. Uh, look at look even, at the examples. They are really <laughs> interesting. Some of them are super convincing,
0: and, and that's only going to get better too, right? I mean, yes. it, it, if we're at this point, uh, then you know the next iteration as as the machine learning gets trained better, uh, as as there's more processing power or more resources behind it in terms of uh, sample da- uh, data. I I think this is going to be pretty cool, but also um, it could be things like uh, Google Street View. Right Where they blur Absolutely. out all the faces and things like that you don't have to do that anymore. you can just replace the faces yeah. uh and there's a lot of uses for something that that's awesome um i've i've thrown I've thrown a couple of politicians' group shots at it
1: and uh Trump is gone I mean isn't that
0: cool <laughs> Uh, yes, it is is now a tool. You can choose to use it for good or evil or whatever you, uh, whatever you want. Uh, the, the deep fake, um, mentality actually might actually have some good to, to be done now where you can, (laughs) uh, obscure, uh, you know, people that don't want to be seen. That's awesome. That's a lovely pick. Um, mine, um, is very, um, unhuman. Uh, I, every year in, you know, about this time of the year, I buy bugs. Uh, I buy praying mantis uthikas. Uh, I buy leaf cutter and mason bees as little cocoons from a company, uh, here in Ontario called natural insect control. Although I'm sure there are similar companies in different provinces or States or countries. Um, but uh, natural insect control, they, uh, they'll sell you like, you want to buy 4,000 ladybugs. It'll cost you like 50 bucks um, because they are for aphid control. And praying mantises are general predators. And of course, the mason bees and the leafcutter bees are pollinators, et cetera. So these are beneficial insects that we've got trees uh, that flower and we want to have fruit. So, you know, having a good, um, healthy population of those pollinating bees is great. But man, those praying mantises they are wonderful photographic subjects. When they're little babies, when they first hatch, they measure, I don't know, two or three centimeters uh, in in size and they grow quickly. But when they're that tiny, they make wonderful photographic subjects. And I've used them for a number of years. Like I mentioned, those ladybugs as well. You don't have to keep a bag full of 4,000 ladybugs because that's kind of creepy. But you just let them go in your garden and whenever you want to photograph a ladybug, chances are you're going to find one in about five (laughs) minutes over the next couple of weeks. Uh, they're not a a difficult thing to, to, to locate at that point. So, um, for a fairly minimal fee, when I talk about photographic subjects, you know, I, I, we've planted all sorts of interesting flowers, uh, in the garden bulbs that might take years to, to grow enough to, to produce a flower something exotic, some succulents from South Africa that I have been nursing for years that still haven't produced blooms. Um, but yeah, you can just order bugs. And I know bugs aren't everybody's thing, but they're inexpensive and praying mantises and ladybugs and, and the like, uh, they're not, not that, that difficult to get. So uh, do yourself a favor uh, if you want a photographic subject and the environment around you a favor and, uh, and buy some bugs. That's, that's my simple pick of the week. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And on The uh, website the, the ladybugs are sold out right now yeah well.
0: they, they only offer the ladybugs uh, <laughs> during the, uh, the the main growing season but you can buy them yeah. typically from May through October uh, and when I've done photographic workshops here in our gardens, I've actually ordered ladybugs uh, in preparation for the workshop so that everybody would have nice bugs to photograph outside in the garden uh, and would release them a day in advance and then uh, everybody we have, gets a, we a nice have a we have a
1: hotel. Picture. We have a bee hotel for white bees like a thing with tubes in it so they can they will actually start uh, breeding in there and uh lots of bees in the garden now
0: or we have one a, of those as town. well and uh and so yeah uh, uh, let's be kind to nature but also yes. uh entertain ourselves as photographers we can do both at yep. the same time well, Chris, uh, this has been a wonderful episode. Thank you for being on again. I hope I can have you back on at some point soon. Uh, ChrisMarquart.com is where you can find Chris and everything that he does. And Photosensei.com, where he does some wonderful photo education. I've learned a lot from Chris in the past. And, uh, and Sensei.photo.
1: Sensei.photo. Photosensei was
0: gone, unfortunately. Ah, well, sensei.photo because the photo is a tld right so you can get that sensei.photo uh the links will all be at photogeekweekly.com and uh thank you once again for being here chris thank you for and thank you for everybody for listening uh to another episode of photo geek weekly and like we say at the end of every episode it's time to stay in and shoot